0: Welcome to Real Talk for the Nonprofit Event Pro, powered by Beyond, where we dive heart first into all things events in the nonprofit world. Hi, I'm Amy Milne, your host and CEO of Beyond and the Nonprofit Event Collective, where we believe that your events matter. You're not just hosting an event, you're inviting people to join you in changing the world. We're here to talk tricks of the trade and share tales from the trenches so you can produce epic events that inspire participants, raise more money, and change lives. Let's dive in. I'm beyond thrilled to welcome Ryan Bailey, Associate Vice President, the Princess Margaret Hospital Foundation, to Real Talk for the Nonprofit Event Pro Podcast today. Ryan has had an unbelievable career in fundraising and events, which began back in 2007 when I offered him his first job on my team at CosForce. One of my best hires ever. Since then, Ryan has gone on to serve some incredible organizations such as Kids Hospital Foundation, Hockey Helps the Homeless, and the Scarborough Health Network Foundation. All the while, we have remained friends and often colleagues as I like to stay super close to the good humans I've come across in this industry. It has been a pleasure to watch his passion and dedication for this work over the years. Ryan is the real deal. I must let you in on a secret. Ryan and I were scheduled to record this episode last week. However, we spent too much time catching up. He had a hard stop for a meeting that we had to reschedule to record today. Ryan and I have been through the trenches together and lived to tell all the tales. So pull up a seat, buckle up. We are definitely here to get real today. So let's do this. Ryan, welcome to the show.
1: Really good to be here. We don't catch up as often as we should.
0: We should. I'm just going to keep inviting you and put a video on and then we'll we'll see what happens. (laughs) That's it. So I have had the pleasure of knowing you for an extraordinary amount of time. I think when I was looking at your LinkedIn yesterday just to make sure that I was on, like, getting all the right titles and all the right things for your intro. And it was like 2003.
1: Yeah. Cause force would have been 2003. Yeah. I would have graduated school around 2002,
0: 20 years ago. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. You kind of forget how long you've been doing something like I, I still, I think it's a large part because I still feel I have a ton to learn. And I think the industry is always evolving and we're always learning that I, you know, you're constantly in this state of, Growth, but you do, you look back on it, you go, man, especially as you start to mentor and coach and lead and work alongside new folks Mm -hmm. in the industry and you're going, okay, I've been doing this a little while now.
0: A long time. It's great. So 20 years ago, I hired you literally into a job that you are going to have to wear your underwear to work. We'll get to that.
1: I do wear my underwear to work still.
0: (laughs) Well, that's a win. <laughs> Thank God we taught you something or you taught yourself. That was your mom. She's an extraordinary lady. So I know who you are and all about you. And I can't wait for our listeners to listen to us for the next little while. But please introduce yourself to our good humans that are listening today.
1: Yeah. So Ryan Bailey, event fundraising professional, I guess I would say. And a little bit of of everything, hopefully, that touches that i've i've made a concentrated effort over that 20 year span to try to get involved work for work with as many different organizations within the event not for profit space as i possibly can so some big some small some local some national and and i've i've built a really fun exciting eclectic career where i've met a lot of really really great people but always within that event fundraising space so mm-hmm. here's probably to another 20 more at least mm-hmm. as we look at at what's on the horizon yeah event fundraising professional i think sums it up relatively well
0: yeah well and i mean you literally when we started together at cause you started with us when we launched the underwear fair and like so there's a small group of us that literally were pioneers of the new way of how we peer-to-peer fundraised here in Canada. I always like to say we were like I I remember the first few years of the walk that that weekend had breast cancer that we spent most of our time on the phone, but also registering people, not just for the event, but for their first email address. Yes. Like it's crazy Enough. to think 20 years is a long time, but a short time when you think about impact that we've had and how much more we can have in this space as well
1: well and that a lot of those events are still happening too right i mean yeah. i look by it's we'll get into this i mean my career's come kind of full circle where i'm at right mm-hmm. now where i'm i'm working on a program that i initially worked on when i first started either at cause force or then with princess margaret but you look at the fun, I'd say the fundamentals that I took out of my, and it wasn't a long stint with cause force. I mean, I was there about eight months, mm-hmm. but it was a really, really, and I don't know that I knew it at the time. I don't know that I knew at the time. Okay. I'm in this place that does this thing really, really well. And other organizations don't necessarily do it this way. And that what I'm learning now is going to support me and serve me wherever i go yeah but it has and mm-hmm. and so coming out of an organization like CauseForce that really i think from a participant experience standpoint from a participant support standpoint from how we coached our participants how we we really i mean peer-to-peer fundraising wasn't new but the way that we were teaching folks how to fundraise, coaching folks how to fundraise, supporting them along their journey. The fact that we had the infrastructure mm-hmm. there to, to make sure that both inbound and outbound that we were... I, I mean, it was it was really the crux of what made those events such a success. And, oh, and to then walk away from there and say, oh, okay, well, you can just go plug and play this to a degree mm-hmm. in other organizations and... It was so strong a program that it it, it works when you go plug and play yep. it in other so it was it was a really, really great launching pad for me. It was an incredible place to work and see those big events come to life, be it the ride or the walk. The walk is now going into its 21st year, September 9th. Well, Crazy. it's in its 21st year, but the 21st yeah. walk will be September 9th of this year. The ride Mm -hmm. just celebrated 16 years. Like it's it's amazing. So there's something to be said for the way those were built, for the longevity that they've they've seen. Because not a lot of events last that long either.
0: Well, and if they last, should they last? We've worked at a few orgs that maybe some of those events shouldn't. But are they still performing? And that's what I think is really interesting. You know, because I agree with everything you just said. The fundamentals. I always like to equate it. A lot of the time, you know, what we learned from the team at CauseForce was that it's kind of like I always equate it sort of to the McDonald's, right? Like, here's the way that you do things. It works. It's a multi million dollar repeatable, rent and repeat business. Customers know what they're going to expect. You get it, you know, for what love it, hate it, whatever. It mm-hmm. exists and it pumps out money and experience. Mm-hmm. And I truly believe what we learned at CauseForce and what we, Truly also were a part of creating and expanding and making it Canadian because it did come out of, it was an American model, not to say that, you know, we didn't create it from scratch, but we adapted it and turned it into what it was. But the fundamentals to your point are still true to how I manage and mm-hmm. and support my clients today. And even, you know, you and I, when we went to, when we were at Kids together, the event that our teams built there, a lot of the same principles. And like you said, you're back- with an event that is still running, that's evolved, but still with the heart and soul of where it started.
1: Yeah, and I, I think there's a nature versus nurture argument. You sometimes okay. forget, and lines blur over 20 years or you? You know, a couple more years for you, maybe <laughs> even than me. But you, you, you for you, maybe forget or you misremember. What is, what it was me before, what did I know going into a place and then what did I actually take out of there right. and kind of add to my repertoire, my put tools into my toolbox. And the one thing for sure at Causeforce that I learned about how to grow those events and how to make sure they're successful is you take care of the people. And yeah. we took care of our volunteers and we took oh, care of our participants and we, built relationships that were non-transactional. They were truly supportive. And, mm-hmm. and, and that, the human nature of that, the, the connection, the responsibility we have to our riders or our walkers and truly putting them at the center of the events that, that we ran – I think that is something that you you could take away and put anywhere and and say, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to be relatively successful because at the end of the day, every decision I'm making, I've got the walker in mind or I've got the event right. participant in mind or the rider in mind. And, and that, I think, was really drilled into us there is mm-hmm. if we take care of the people, the people are ultimately going to take care of us and they're going to continue to show up and and that's something that i've certainly taken away from there and 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 brought to every other place that i've been since
0: absolutely i think that's so huge and i've i've had the pleasure cuz not only did we work together in your very first job we've worked together mm-hmm. in multiple places you brought me you you tapped me on the shoulder and told me there was a great gig at the kids that was coming up that you thought i'd be fit for and Ted Garrard took a massive risk and allowed me and gave me that opportunity. And so we worked together there. And at that point, I got to watch you manage and lead an extraordinary team of people. But you also managed at that point, third party events, Mm -hmm. which, you know, building on what you just said in terms of taking care of the people and the volunteers, like there was, that was the only thing you could do when you were in the third party piece. Like that was those events that you and the team managed were the heart and soul to SickKids, the way that I see it.
1: Yeah, it was it was a different it was a different makeup for an events portfolio from other organizations that I've mm-hmm. been in. It was mm-hmm. primarily third party, right? So yeah, for those listeners that maybe don't know the difference, and I think every organization has a slightly different definition of third party versus signature events versus what I would constitute as partnership events yeah third party are run completely by community or corporate members who you know want to support sick kids could support another organization have chosen to support mm-hmm. sick kids could move along and support another organization the next year or two years from now so mm-hmm. Making sure that they've got the support that they need, making sure that they're at the center of not the events that we're putting on because it's a little bit different, but making sure that they're they know that they're at the heart of how we're developing our support tools and materials and that we're listening to them and that we're we're giving them a platform to provide feedback mm-hmm. was really, really important to helping to grow that business too. The other piece of this that was really unique to me i was i was of course younger at the time i did not have kids at the time and i managed a portfolio of events that the main motivation they were put on was because there was a connection to sick kids so a family member could have been a child could have been a a niece or nephew or a community member had been treated and so you you ended up to some degree being part-time therapist. Too and and building those relationships not just for the sake of the event or the sake of the business but truly for the sake of connecting that event that the event had therapeutic value for the family or the the community that was putting it on and it was so much more than an event at Sick Kids it truly was a way to remember or honor mm-hmm. or grieve for someone who was either in treatment or, or had passed or, or ideally had a, a really positive outcome at sick mm-hmm. That was all a, a very unique and steep learning curve for me when I was there because I, you know, I, I hadn't experienced those things. So again, going in with the tools in my toolbox, I had learned from Causeforce on how to make sure that we put our, our people first continuing that at sick kids and making sure that you know this family member may may call and have logistical questions but they might just call and want to talk today and that's okay and that was really important to helping us to build those relationships and make sure that those folks felt supported along the process too
0: for sure and help them fundraise and help them like figure out all that right like because it 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 was feeding an engine and financially, you know, that's how you can help sometimes. Like it doesn't necessarily feel like a warm blanket when you've gone through something like that or the other causes and things that, you know, our our listeners are, are dealing with. But that warm blanket is money sometimes, right? Like that's yeah. how we can feed the researchers and build the buildings and get the right staff in place, whichever and wherever those staff need to be money is going to help solve those problems. And so to your point, a lot of these people and what a lot of folks listening have is like you've got these incredibly well-minded, like well-hearted, ready-to-go good humans, but they're essentially leading a business decision in an event. And so how to get them to see that success and to your point, all of that success for both the staff and the people is huge when you're dealing with a third party Events, yeah. portfolio, and because they're humans. But it goes back to what you said in the very beginning. It's human centered business we're in, and just the humans de- need different things at different times. And so, in, being able to see that is definitely a skill you have, and a skill that you were able to transpose to your team as well. Yeah, Big most time.
1: and most people don't know, right? I mean, right? Okay, so I've I've had this this. This thing happened to me at SickKids. I've had a child who was ill or I've had a family member who was ill and and I'm empowered and I'm inspired and I'm motivated to do something. Okay. well I'm a banker or I'm a lawyer. I have no, I don't know how to put on an event. I don't know how to do what I do. I don't know how the money makes it over to the hospital. I don't know how that translates. So, so you, you were part-time educator too. You were, Mm -hmm. you were really the, the relationship arm of the hospital, to make sure that they knew how to do what they wanted to do, that that you could fulfill and support their wish, whatever that was. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it was a lemonade stand that made $500, and sometimes it was a gala that made $500,000. And the rule of thumb that we always had on our third-party events team was it doesn't really matter how much that event makes. Mm -hmm. That person you're connecting with, over the phone or in person or when you're attending their event, they should feel like their thing is the only thing in your portfolio. Mm -hmm. And we all want that. I mean, when we're talking, when we have a customer service issue and we're calling in to, Mm -hmm. to, to share a concern we have, or, or we need support in some capacity, we all want to feel like we are the only thing and the highest priority on that person that we're talking to's plate at that given moment. And if we can provide that level of service to our, our families or to our supporters, they're better for it. We're better for it. And ultimately to your point, Amy, our researchers, our hospital staff, the care, the education, the research that takes place at the hospitals or the organizations we support are better for it too.
0: Yeah. Huge. And one of, in and, and one of the things that I loved that we, that the team put in place and I was able to watch it while we were there together is, I'll never forget one of our million dollar stewardship dinner events. Like, you know, we do stewardship events and that ran, that also existed in our team at the time. And we worked some, with some great people there and I'll never forget one of our big million dollar dinners. And we included, like our team, Sick kids, included those third party event donors in those major gift stewardship event celebrations. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I remember with so much pride and such a thing that wasn't being done at the time, right? like There's been a debate in the event industry with all of us all the time is like, are they donors? They might not actually have donated a dollar, you know? So is it the outside definition of it or what is it on the inside? And that for me, I'll never forget. I was standing in a balcony. It was and I was standing next to a, f- a couple of families from the third-party program, and the you could just feel their pride. Yeah. And they were made to belong in that room. And just because they didn't hand over their million dollars themselves, like some of the other people in the room, in my opinion, it was harder worked for, quite frankly, because it yeah. goes from like what their hearts went through and what their lives went through, and then what they did to get that million-dollar-plus to that dinner, like- I don't know if you remember. And I just remember like it was extraordinary. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's, it's, it's all important, right? You hear about the big 10, 25, $50 million gifts and, and we used to always say every dollar counts. And, and a lot of organizations do. And I've certainly said that in other organizations that I've been to before and since. And, and it sounds, or maybe it can sound like lip service Because can my dollar truly matter the same a $50 million gift would? And you go, okay, no, the $50 million gift is going to have more impact at the end of the day. But what what we're really saying is the energy and effort and time that went into raising that dollar matters. And you might have raised $10,000 through Event ABC, doesn't matter what it is. But how many people did you talk to along the way? How many people did you tell your story to? How many people did you talk about the care that you received at any given organization? You become an advocate for the organization in a way that sometimes what what would be considered a major gift donor would also, but sometimes, sometimes it's 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 the writing of a, a check. Sometimes it's anonymous and, and there isn't a lot of there's fanfare around the size of the gift, but there isn't the lasting impact that an event would have even if it raised less because you're truly in many cases mobilizing a community around the cause that is you can't put a dollar figure on it, but has lasting impact in that community and for those people you touch and and sometimes i mean ultimately we were there to raise money and we needed mm-hmm. to do that totally but the 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 halo around that portfolio was really a thousand events that took place in the community every single year that raised awareness for sick kids and mobilized communities and got other people to stand up and say well if they can do it i can do it too and that's yeah. that's an incredible thing
0: It really is. And it, it's, it's an investment in people. And when you invest, I, I've changed some of the way that I speak. Sometimes I don't say like, I'm not spending my time with you today, Ryan, I'm investing my time with you because Mm -hmm. there's a return on that investment. There's been a return on that investment since I called you the very first day to say, Hey, come work with us. It's been an investment. It's not spend to me. There's, there's no, there's no return on a spend. And I think what we've seen in our career, and if and, and other good humans out there, is that when you invest time in the people, it more comes. It might come yeah. in the form of more money. It might come in the form of more of 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 more from that person or not. But just to lead with the thought of investment, not just a money investment, to me has been life changing for me in terms of just even how I even speak. Like I don't. I'm going away to, to not spend time with my family. I'm going away on vacation to invest time in my family. And it's, and I think even in business, if we even just change it when we're speaking about human beings, because that's the business we're in for me, it's been a, it's been a big, it's a a big shift. And that's what you've done. Like that's that's the field we've been in.
1: Yeah. I, I completely agree. I, I'm very much a believer that you either pay now or you pay later. But you ultimately are going to pay. So whether you make that investment in people up front,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it always will pay dividends in the long term. Mm-hmm. Or you don't make that investment up front in people, be it your people that are reporting yeah. to you or your team yeah. or your colleagues, you don't make that investment in them up front, they leave right i mean they they leave or they turn over or they they find other ways to operate or they're not as motivated or inspired and it ultimately costs you more Mm -hmm. in the long run and and ultimately what we do it's more fun when you jump in with both feet it's more fun when you just say Okay, I want to get to know this person. I want to get to know this family. I want to understand what makes this person tick, or I want to understand. Hey, can we grow this from ten thousand to twenty thousand or thirty thousand? And if that motivates you, then this is a really intriguing industry and fun industry to be in because the, the possibilities are, are endless.
0: They really are, and you and it's it's taking. And what else I, you know, the underlying what you're saying too is like you're taking the time and to get to know these people, to invest in these people that are showing up at your events or being your third party or your staff. Like we do need to slow down sometimes or we should just slow down all the time for a second even because people matter. And if we brush Mm -hmm. by them, then we're just brushing by we're losing. We're just yeah. we're losing. And I think it's always taking priority of what what that is, whether it's for your staff team or your personal well-being or what have you. Because in this industry, especially, we're taking care and we're we're fighting for things that are for other people. And so we need to make sure that we take time for ourselves, but also take the time to get to know those people so that we can, you know, be that true army to to fix things.
1: As we're talking through this. I mean, it, it was not always second nature to me, too, right. right? Like I, I think it's easy to come on here and say, well, you know, this is what we do, and this is what we've learned. Yeah, twenty years in, mm-hmm. this is what I know for sure. Really? Five years from now, you know, I may f- be thinking about something completely different, and I can tell you, five years ago, ten years ago, I had to learn the hard way at certain times. I didn't necessarily lead the way I do today. And my leadership style has evolved and I've grown my, my interest in getting better at something versus simply having raw skills that I thought was enough. No, this cut, this takes continuous improvement and constant work to try to get better. And I remember having a conversation with a colleague before I left my last role, and she was taking on more of a role with, with me leaving. And I wrote her a note before I left. And I said, there's going to be certain days you think you've nailed it and you figured this out. And I said, you haven't. Yeah. And there's going to be certain days where you think, man, I'm awful at this. And and I just don't know if I can go on. You can, right. but y- you you If you're looking at things constantly through a lens of wanting to improve and be a sponge and learn from others around you, there's a lot of really, really good people in this industry that I've had the benefit, yourself and many others, Amy, that I've had the benefit of watching and saying, okay, I really like how she or he does this. Let me, I can take that and I can borrow that and I can go do that. And then there's things you go, okay. Well, I don't love how he or she does this. Okay, I'm not going to do it that way next time. Right. So if you're constantly a sponge, that's that's really how i've I've kind of lasted and continue to to ideally it improve in some areas, and and it's just through learning and growing, looking at other people and and how they do it. And it's been it's been incredibly. It, it's been a, a journey, but it's been a really really fun journey.
0: Well, and I can attest to the fact, Ryan, watching you grow as a leader, both, you know, alongside me, with me, above me, below me, like you you have honestly been a sponge since the moment I met you. And it's its something that I hope you're proud of. And I, I like that, you know, now at this age and stage, you can stand up and own it because you've, you've, you've cared about people you, you, and you were willing to take risks and you were willing to catch yourself you were willing to take feedback you didn't always like it yeah. but you were willing to to take risks but you've also been incredibly thoughtful you gave me a piece of advice that I will never forget and I was your boss at the time whenever we've <laughs> always been buddies but I technically on paper was your boss and and, and you you came up to me in the hallway at the kids right out front of my office and I was in the midst of all of the like stuff trying to get you know the frustration of of dealing with leadership and launching a massive, huge event for sick kids. And and I was so, I was like, I, ca- I can't do it all. And you just put your hands on my shoulders and you looked me square in the face and you said, Amy, you don't have to do it all. Signs of a good leader is one who knows how to find the resource to get it done. Mm. And I will never, ever forget that because in that you're like, we're here for you you've got this, you don't have to do it all. Yeah. And you, you said that to me and it stayed with me forever because it was so vital as a leader to like, you sometimes think, and especially when you're starting your career and those that are listening that are, it's like, but you don't have to do it all. The best sign of a leader is knowing when you can't do it all and you find the amazing human beings that can help you. Like, I don't ever want another me on my team. Be exhausting for sure but like because I'm good at what I'm good at and that's why titles don't really mean anything to me it's like what are you good at right now yeah you know and you and I were in roles and throughout our careers that we were really good at right now and the best thing I would say about both of us is that we have been lifelong learners we have shown up to fall down and to get back up and put our necks out and, and not everybody will and it's not a safe place like it is absolutely not I mean, if I switch gears a little bit, like I left a really safe and secure spot at SickKids and I went to another organization and I was in a really good leadership spot that I was able to bring a team of senior leaders with me, you being one of them and a couple of our other guests that have been on the show have. And, you know, we were there, we are going to build this. Like you all took risks on me as a leader that I've been forever proud of. I, it worked out the way it did for what it did, but I will never forget when my team was threatened, you being one of them, by some really extraordinarily bad leadership, that, you know, I was willing to stand up for my team because you had all believed in me. And I went to HR at the time and I was pretty much, well, <laughs> if you're going to put your neck out, this is not going to last very long for you. And uh, about a month and a half later, I was walked out of the building. And I have never been so proud to be fired from something in my whole life because I stood up for my people and my people were being threatened and that wasn't okay with me. Mm-hmm. And so I will be walked out of any building for anyone. It definitely was like scary and like, fuck, oh, what are we gonna do? But it just like, it comes back to the people and you just happened to be one and Lindsay, who's been a guest on the podcast was another. But as a leader, you know, you put yourself out there and I recommend it. It might not always work out exactly how you thought, but hey, I, I'll i never regret it, and you and I are still sitting here today, another 10 years later, supporting each other through our careers and watching each other grow and cheer from the sidelines. And it's those times sometimes when you hit the bottom that, you know, what comes next. And what was amazing is then you went on to take on this incredible opportunity at Hockey Helps the Homeless, which gave you this, like, whole other view on nonprofit events, which to me, if I look at all the buckets and you can speak to it, obviously, but I'm watching you, it's like you took all your partnership expertise and the things that you built when you're kids and then you went to hockey, help the homeless. And then you're able to blow that out of the water for an organization, because that's a very yeah. different model there than being in an institution.
1: Yeah, there's there's so much there that I want to comment on. And I will talk about the hockey helps the homeless stuff. Two, but I, I think you make a really good point in that. I know for sure when I was so when I went to Sick Kids, I was an associate, so like a senior coordinator, not quite a manager, somewhere in there. Our titles in the not-for-profit, I find, are really funny, <laughs> and and they don't translate to other industries, nope. so.
0: Or even other organizations (laughs) or even other
1: other not-for-profits so every organization's a little bit different but i was an associate so i was managing a portfolio but i i didn't have any direct reports and i i hadn't i had portfolio leadership experience but i didn't have people leadership experience Mm -hmm. and on a friday i was an associate and i had applied for a an associate director position so i would have been now leading the portfolio leading the people and and I got that job. And so the next Monday I was an associate director. And mm-hmm. looking back on it now, I think at the time I thought that I needed to know everything from that Friday to that Monday. I now needed to be an associate director. Right. I now needed to know how to lead people. I it was I had got hired into this role, and it was the expectation that I I knew everything, and so I had to act like I knew everything, and that sent me down a really dangerous path because, A, people don't hire people for who they are. They don't promote people for who they are, I don't think. They hire people or they promote people for what they can be. And so I wish someone told me that on the (laughs) Friday that, hey, listen, Take it easy. We're going to grow you into this role, but we think you have the skills to be grown into this role. It's not our expectation that you are all of a sudden an associate director. And that's what I tell people now. If I promote yeah. somebody now, if I hire somebody into a role now that doesn't necessarily have that experience, yet, I said, this is going to be a partnership. This isn't going to mm-hmm. just be me expecting you know how to do all of this this is going to be us my success is your success your success is my success so if there's anybody listening who's earlier on in their career you know that's one piece of advice i wish i had heard back then is Mm -hmm. you don't need to know everything and and you nailed it aim too with our conversation back many years ago like I thought when you were a leader, you needed to know. I needed to know what all my people were doing. I needed right. to know their portfolios better than they did. I need to mm-hmm. need it, but you very quickly become a micro manager or you risk becoming a micromanager. That's really not effective, needless to say. And that's <laughs> really not what people want. No. And I've had to ask myself many, many times over the last 15 years or so since I've been in management positions, would I, wanna, right. would I want to report to me? Would right. I want to have me lead me? And right. sometimes it's been no. Sometimes mm-hmm. at various, in various roles or at various times and right. various roles I go, I actually wouldn't like if my boss did that. Right. I actually wouldn't like if my boss led me this way. Mm-hmm. I want the support. I want to know what our North Star is. I want I want to be put on a path to be as successful in this position or organization as I can be and then I want you to get out of my way and and that's where I I would say I'm I'm just sort of starting to evolve to like this is by no means an area where I say I've got this figured out this is this is constantly evolving and growing for me and so 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 there's that, and then there's there's yeah there's hockey helps the homeless. This was an interesting leap for me, having come from CauseForce, and then to so just for those who aren't staring at my LinkedIn profile or following <laughs> along with paper and pen, CauseForce, and then over to Princess Margaret, Princess Margaret. and then to Sick Kids, and then to the Canadian Cancer Society for just about eight months, nine months, mm-hmm. and then I started to have kids and and decided hey, it would be great if I was closer to home and wasn't commuting downtown. Yep. And so I chose an organization that I had never heard of when I initially applied. And I was Hockey Helps the Homeless, putting on pro-am charity hockey tournaments across the country. And I thought, hey, this is going to give me an opportunity to see the country. It's going to give me an opportunity to lend some of that expertise that that I learns from other organizations mm-hmm. I had been in and, and grow in a national organization. But without that safety net of the big brands in, in Kids or Princess Margaret, but I'm going to be closer to home and, and I'm going to have an opportunity to take on more of a leadership role. So I started there as a, a director of operations was basically a leading both the relationships and the logistics for our Ontario events. And there were six mm-hmm. at the time. And then after six months, I was told that our founder, Gary Scullion, was going to leave. He was going to retire from Hockey Oaks the Homeless. And in another six months from then, so a year after I started, he would like me to take over as executive director. So long, long story short, I had a son at the time who was about a year and a half. I had a our second son was born June 30th. Eight weeks premature. So he was in the NICU. And on July 1st, I took over as executive director at Hockey Helps the Homeless with one other staff person and a full contingent being <laughs> eight staff people. And we had events in October, and this was July 1. And the summer really was your prep and plan time. Totally. So talk about a curveball, talk about what have I gotten myself into. Yeah. Talk about this would have never happened <laughs> to the kids or you know, Princess Margaret. Yeah. But the learning of that challenge and coming out of that and and being forced into a situation that was incredibly uncomfortable. And and being able to grow and build a team was something that I will forever be grateful for and a really unique opportunity in this industry to run something that was national and it was nimble and it was small and we had a lot of fun doing it. It was another learning curve. And I, you know, you want to be challenged and and you put yourself in these challenging situations. And sometimes when you're in the middle of it, you go, what have I done? And Amy, you've been here too, but you come out on the other end and you go, okay, I can't imagine my career not having had that that yep. experience. So it was, it was, I was really, really grateful for that.
0: Well, and I just, I know Michael Braithwaite was on yeah. my podcast co-he's next week's, So it'll be before you, but we were speaking of you and I, and he speaks very highly of you, but I think what you also did there is like, you, you, you found some grit and I mean, you built some, I bring up Michael cause he has an unbelievable high regard for you as a fundraiser and an event producer. And, you know, he's a pretty smart dude himself and but what I, you know, watching you, you go there, I, there was like that grittiness. You kind of had, you know, this, the, the standards that like, kind of like all the right things. And you learned all the things. Cause we were at, you know, we were at the big organizations and then you got to almost try it all on mm-hmm. at hockey, uh, hockey helps the homeless. And you got to like be gritty. Both your life was becoming like, what? You'd never done that before, mm-hmm. right? you never had one baby, let alone two babies, And you'd never done that before. And so, and it's smaller where, you know, you and I know what it's like to work for the big guys. There's like everything you need at your fingertips. It's not perfect, but a lot of what you need is at your fingertips. There's a lot of people. There's totally, there's a lot of people to hold you up. You fall down one day, there's 10 that are going to pick you up the next or step in for you. And so I always look like when I'll never forget when the gentleman called me to do your, to do your reference check and I was just like, I looked at all the experience that you had and then also just, you know, the partnership, you know, what you did and how you built those partnership relationships at Sick kids and you, to me, that was just such a great, like an opportunity for you. I mean, there's so much more, but that in itself was such a unique piece of the portfolio that you managed at Sick kids that it just to me was so translatable and so usable when you went to hockey helps the homeless, which is yeah. just cool. And then as much as you wanted to be at home to raise your two children, weren't you on the road a lot? <laughs>
1: I was. So this is this is the other side of it. I, I go, okay, yeah. When I'm in the office, I'm relatively close to home. But we traveled, we had events from Vancouver to Halifax. So 14 events a year. We By the time I left, after five and a half years, 14 events a year, coast to coast. Five, six of those events, excuse me, took place over five weeks in the fall in five different provinces. So I was everywhere all the time and and it mm-hmm. so this is where i i will talk again about what we referred to earlier that growth as a leader and eventually understanding hey you, you actually don't need to be everywhere all the time and actually people don't want right? you everywhere but all the time <laughs> But but the way no one wants after after your team hasn't slept for two consecutive days, no one wants you to walk into the rink and comment that the (laughs) that the sign is crooked. Like that's really annoying. Really, yeah, yeah. Can you imagine? So, so this is this is again the the falling down. It's constantly falling down as a leader to pick yourself back up and go. Okay, I'm. (laughs) <laughs> far from perfect here I still have a lot to learn and and doing that and hopefully applying things in real time but yeah so I was I was gone probably 10 weeks a year during that period of time which I loved to travel and I loved seeing the country but wasn't quite the at home job that I thought it was it was maybe anyway, going to be, be but it was it, it wasn't that Toronto commute, which at the time for me was was a good thing.
0: Right. Tell me a little bit about the Hockey Helps the Homeless as, a, as an organization, because it's different yeah. than, you know, we've talked about foundations and things like that. And so this model is quite interesting to me and might be to others. So tell us just a little bit, kind of, you know, an elevator pitch sort of size of what the org, like how that works.
1: Yeah. And I have to give credit to, to Gary scullion who and a group of, of his colleagues and friends at the time that mm-hmm. founded Hockey Helps the Homeless back in 1996. So it had been around for a little while by the time I had got there. And it, it was all volunteer-led. And so this was the, I would say, early stages by the time I got there of actually having a full contingent of paid staff to to steward and support it. But yeah, it was it was unique. It was a registered charity, is a registered this- charity. It still continues mm-hmm. to this day. But it functioned more like an event agency that put on charity hockey events, like I say, across the country where 100% of the net proceeds would support local organizations. So, yes, we were a charity and yes, we would take a percentage of what we raised in order to support infrastructure mm-hmm. and growth and and staffing costs and all of those things required to to run a business. But the net proceeds were all granted locally. So we would raise and grant about $3 million a year spread across 45 homelessness agencies across Mm -hmm. Canada. So some of our events would have up to six, seven, eight agencies. Some would have one agency. And it was volunteer-led to a degree. We had a small Mm -hmm. staff contingent out out of Markham. But every city we ran an event in had a volunteer committee cool. that were responsible for team recruitment and sponsor recruitment and, and to some degree logistics and volunteer management and those sorts of things. And we, I like to say, provided a warm blanket around mm-hmm. each of those committees and make sure they had the infrastructure, the tools, the websites, the fundraising cool. supports that they needed to be successful So it was a really nice partnership where the volunteers in those cities would do what they could do to best contribute. We weren't connected in Vancouver. We weren't connected in Calgary or Halifax. They were. Right. So one of the things the team and I did when when I first started as executive director was, okay, let's really parse out roles and responsibilities here. Mm -hmm. You guys fundraise. Right. We can do all of the things that can be cookie cutter and done across any city, Kitchener, right. Waterloo, or Barrie, or Vancouver, we'll do those things because we can become experts in that and we can come in and plug and play in every city. You guys go out and get the sponsors. You guys go out and get the teams. And we, we grew significantly over the five years with that model. And that was just a matter of everybody contributing the way that they best could to support the event. So we had about 1,000 volunteers across the country, Wow. 45 agencies. We had about 3,000 hockey players that played with us each and every year, 200 cool. alumni, HL alumni and female Olympians. And it was a lot, a lot of fun.
0: It just sounds like such community. I love it. I love it. And and what I love about this model, and you and I have talked offline about this too, is just it's similar to Crossforce and some of the other organizations that live out there. I'm, I'm somewhat one of them as well at Beyond in terms of like we can create that event for you, and that's what you did with Hockey Helps the Homeless. Is an event was created, so you didn't have you just had to show up and fundraise, and you were taken care of. To a certain like, it's not that easy, yeah. obviously, but it but it is like you didn't have to get a logistics person and a volunteer like manager and all those kind of people and a website builder and developer and a this 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 and it just and I love to this model, and there's a few other companies that do it as well. Is that it just, it's the smaller guys are making some of the big dough now. Mm-hmm. And then it's truly partnership, not just with you as a, for, like a, it's a chair, but like a corporation with a charity, so to speak, for lack of a better, under, like lack of a better way to describe it. And then you have all these other charities. So all these other charities are playing together. And I love that. And it's because yeah. those little guys may not have a big hockey tournament that could have some of the hockey players you had out. If it was just their organization of two people trying to raise, money for the Kitchener-Waterloo branch of homeless shelter. Like it's just extraordinary to, and to me that's somewhat thinking differently and Gary quite honestly got it well ahead of others, but I think it's a good, I think as things are evolving and as we're coming out of the pandemic and what's next for nonprofits and how are they going to take, how am I going to do it all? I think they don't have to do it alone. They can work with outside agencies like hockey helps the homeless or, like my own company or others like me, you know, Brian's running out at coldest night of the year, like blue sea philanthropy. Like there's, there's a few of us out there and it just, I think it's so smart. So thank you for sharing that. Cause I think it's definitely something people should check out. So you and I could talk forever. And I want to talk about this, like full, like career back home, almost moment, because yeah. I think it's kind of extraordinary and it brings it all back and there's so many lessons in coming back and all of that kind of stuff so you're now back at princess margaret like almost where you started yeah longest marathon ever but i know like you're back amazing how lucky are they to have you
1: well how lucky am i to be honest i Mm -hmm. i to to start my career it was almost i remember somebody telling me when i was at princess margaret and then i had the chance to go to sick kids and i was there for five years and I remember a colleague or, or somebody saying, "You know, people, you're you've gone and been at the places that a lot of people aspire to eventually get to go." And again, when you're in it and you're dealing with you know the things that aren't great and the things yeah. that aren't, <laughs> now you're kind of in it and and you don't yeah. realize it. Like life in general, we don't always realize how lucky we are when we're when we're in it. Totally, well said. And so. You know, I remember thinking, okay, no, I, you know, that's a really, really good way for me to think about it. But there was something in me when I was at SickKids that kept, kept saying, okay, you're successful here, relatively successful here. No, you were,
0: absolutely you were.
1: And what can, is it SickKids? Is that Mm -hmm. why you're successful? Or is it Princess Margaret? That's why you're successful? Or could you be successful elsewhere? Mm Mm-hmm. Is it you or is it the organization you work for? And I had a a conversation with Ted Gerard, our our president at the time. And, and, you know, if if you're in this industry, you probably know Ted. And he said, you know, we've got the best board here. This is when I was Mm -hmm. contemplating leaving SickKids. Got a really, really strong board and they do and they continue to. And and Mm -hmm. he said, the relationships you'll have here and built here. And he said, and the brand of SickKids is something you don't want to... You don't want to lose. You want to work for big brands. And I thought, you know what? He's probably on to something. He was very, <laughs> very smart. Yeah. And, and knew his thing. But I thought, you know, I still have to go test my grip, as you say. Yeah. And, and that's when I went on to CCS, of course, also a big brand. But then on to Hockey Helps the Homeless. And, and of all the places I had been, I thought, where would I ever go back to? I loved Sick Kids and I loved, you know, my time at CCS and I loved Hockey Helps the Homeless. The only place I would have ever contemplated going back to was the Princess Margaret. And the power of maintaining relationships in this industry, mm-hmm. I stayed in touch with Steve Merker, who was one of the co founders of the ride mm-hmm. 16 years ago, a cyclist himself. And who I always found to be a very inspiring lead from the front kind mm-hmm. of guy. And I worked You're for him right. when I was there my, my first stint. And we stayed in touch and we went out for coffees once or twice a year. And this last go around, he had a, a vacancy free up on his team in the role of, of ride director Mm-hmm. And and I thought, okay, well, maybe this is the opportunity for me to to make a leap. And how interesting would it be to be to be back there? Now, when I was there the first time, it was fifty five people. Yep. It was a different CEO. It was a different mm-hmm. time in the organization's trajectory. It was very much a family feel. It was small. It was nimble. Mm-hmm. And it's one hundred and thirty people now, and it's bigger and it's more sophisticated and. And so I thought, okay, is this going to be how I remember it? And and now being back there since January, it's managed to maintain that family that. feel. The ride is the uh, event that I get to work on each and every day, which is the largest athletic fundraiser in the country. Mm-hmm. I get to work with Steve again, which is uh, amazing. But I also get to work with a team of 25 other event professionals that I get to learn from each and every day. So it's, it's this really, really nice dichotomy and, and opportunity for me to get back to an organization where I always felt comfortable and I always liked the work and I, I always enjoyed it, but also it's grown and it's, it's become bigger and the impact has become bigger. And the, the cause I know that everywhere else I worked, I knew we made impact. I knew we we made a difference. Even though I hate that term, make a difference. That's every yeah, charity it's my everywhere. Least favorite
0: freaking sentence. Difference. Use uh, Chat GPT and find a new sentence.
1: I know, I know. So so, forgive me for for saying that. But <laughs> we'll at Princess Margaret, their part of their secret sauce is not just for staff, but for our riders walkers event supporters they really connect you to the folks at the hospital and in our research center that are investing the money that you're raising and you see firsthand better than anywhere else i'd ever been how that money is truly changing cancer outcomes for people not only across the country but across the world and and so i'm thrilled to be back it's just been about six months now but full circle for sure
0: well, and Ryan, everything you said about it being bigger and bolder and more, it's ready for you. You're all those things. You've you've you started there, you know, if you think of your 20 some odd year old self and everything that you just shared very openly with all of us. Well, myself, but there's hundreds of people that'll listen to this, <laughs> which I've always admired. You've always been very vulnerable and open with your stuff, especially with me. So I appreciate that. But everything you just said about it growing and being there is it's ready for you. And it needed that org needed to be ready for you to show back up, just like you needed to be ready to show back up. And so I just, I can't, I will continue to cheer you on, on the sidelines, Ryan, as a friend, as a colleague, as someone I incredibly admire and have been so blessed to have you on so many of my teams. And I appreciate your time invested with us here today for all those good listeners, all of those good humans that have been listening, if they want to get a hold of you, how could they do that?
1: So on LinkedIn, for sure, okay. I, I've just updated my picture so it doesn't look like, uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> so you'll see a little, a little ride jersey no, no. there, like, there so I'm oh. unmistakable, I'm on brand. <laughs> LinkedIn for sure is the best way. Hit me Perfect. up there, private message, and, and I can get back to you very quickly.
0: Sweet. I will make sure that is linked in the show notes. And again, Ryan, thank you so much. This has been my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening and doing good in the world. We see you. We can't wait for you to join us next time when we hear from another good human who will share their story along with tips and tricks that will help you execute extraordinary events that are sure to have a lasting impact on your participants, beneficiaries, donors, and colleagues. Make sure you follow Real Talk for the Nonprofit Event Pro wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review the show so other nonprofit event pros just like you can find our podcast so they too can create events that matter. Tune in next week to laugh, Cry and cheer with us on another episode of Real Talk for the Nonprofit Event Pro. See you soon! Hey, good human, are you hitting roadblocks with your events and marketing and need a bit of help to take it to the next level? We've got you. Sign up for our monthly hot seat coaching where we will answer your questions live on the podcast. That's right. You'll get to join me, Amy Milne, and my colleague, Lisa Cohen, right here on Real Talk for the Nonprofit Event Pro Podcast, and we will share our expertise to help you with your specific questions. Sound good? Great. Fill out the quick form by following the link in the show notes, and we'll take it from there. We're stoked to have you on the podcast, Good Human Listener, to guide you through your current challenges. Keep it real.